Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today runs a vintage shop in a small town on the coast of England. Uh, welcome, Holly. Would you like to mention a bit about yourself to start with? Hello, um, my name is Holly Busworth, and I am half of um, Busworth Vintage Company. Um, we have a bricks and mortar shop um, in Totnes in Devon. Um, and I deal mainly with the online side of things, uh, the other half being my husband, Colin, um, and he mainly deals with the with the shop side of things. Um, we've been working together quite harmoniously, I think, um, since about 2007. Um, and um, yeah, we, opened, we only opened the shop here in Totnes um, a couple of months ago. Uh, in the middle of uh, in the middle of a pandemic and a recession and looming Brexit as well, so um, yeah, so far it it seems to be it seems to be doing all right. Um, but we've been in the uh, the vintage business for uh, collectively um, a little over thirty five years now. Um, Colin been in it longer than I have. Um, and we've run we've run two other shops before, um, so kind of taking taking the leap to opening another shop sort of seemed seemed quite natural after not having one for a while. I'm I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here um, with our with our timeline. <laughs> not to worry. I do remember visiting your shop in Bristol. It must be uh, okay. Yeah, four four years ago or so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was probably just before we um, before we closed up actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I had a hand in that, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we had we were we had two shops and a newborn, and uh, we, we it just became flips in the night um, sort of scenario. Uh, yeah, we just didn't we never really saw each other, and our quality of life just went downhill. So, um, yeah, we thought right, something needs to be done here. <laughs> um, so we sold both the businesses and moved to France for a year um, where maybe we saw rather too much of each other. <laughs> um, so yeah, after a Getting year... Into some dark secrets here. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, yeah, sorry, I just realised what I just said. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, then we, we decided to to come back to the UK, but um, we didn't want to move back to Bristol. Um and uh, we chose Totnes instead, which is uh, yeah a really, a really lovely, a really great little town. Um, and apparently a total hipsters paradise, and absolutely. it's perfect for a vintage shop. Yeah, we're kind of adding to that. Yeah, there was already a vintage shop here that had been. Uh, it actually used to be in the shop where we are now, um, many many moons ago. Um, it's run by a lovely lady called Sue, and uh, she she's it's a very old old school shop. Um, where everything's kind of piled high. She has amazing stuff from the 1920s sort of through to sort of 70s, 80s. Um, uh, but it's a very different vibe to what we do. Um, yeah, like I said, she's she's been here for absolutely donkey's years. Um, but we have a very good relationship with her. We don't tread on each other's toes, really. Um, and, you know, we kind of buy bits off each other when we can and help support each other and send customers each, you know, send customers to each other as well. Um, 
so yeah it's it's a nice uh it's a nice easy relationship there something you said there was one i want to follow up on you say that she has mostly sort of 1920s and onwards yeah yeah really sort of older stuff because what you have now is uh more workwear denim type things very much so yeah um when we i suppose just before we moved to france um we'd started um getting a a good solid supply of uh french workwear and uh people sort of went a bit mad for it um obviously it's very big now even you know h&m do a version of a french you know cotton twill work jacket um but yeah we were sort of getting it in and suddenly selling it in bulk to uh to other shops uh shops in the far east um and it yeah we just couldn't keep it on the shelves really so we kind of thought that's that sort of prompted the move to france you know we might as well be over there if that's if that's what's uh if that's what's selling so well um but yeah we we stock um it's mainly utility where I suppose what you'd traditionally called menswear, I call it unisex. Um, but yeah, this, this other shop, she kind of has all the beautiful sort of beaded 1920s flapper dresses and things like that, which, um, uh, yeah, we just don't really go for at all. Um, yeah, the workwear is, I don't know. I, I do find the beauty in the, in the old repairs and the sun fading and the, um, the, the mistakes on the uh, on the imperfections, I suppose, on the uh, on the jackets and trousers. So it's interesting, though, because uh, the French workwear has sort of been a big thing now for quite a few years. Yeah, yeah. The supply from France appears to be infinite, yeah, and the demand for it also seems to be near infinite. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. As soon as I get it in, it just it goes. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of finding the. Uh, the good stuff in bulk really which is always always the problem with uh with running a shop like ours it's uh finding finding the stock balancing i suppose the stock pieces that anyone can buy with the with the what we call the sprinkles the uh, the good stuff on top um so yeah but yeah the the french work where just i suppose it's just so practical um and the the differences within the same designs um it's all basically the same designs they haven't they haven't changed that dramatically for you know 100 years um but the little idiosyncrasies that you get within each piece um you know can make it an entirely different jacket one to the next so yeah that's kind of what i love about it but you managed to actually source this in i mean bulk i remember seeing a few years ago there's a it's a place in Gothenburg in Sweden. Okay, they do yeah. uh, army, lots of army clothes. Yeah. And they were showing on their Instagram how they got, I mean, <laughs> bulk doesn't really describe it, just massive mountains of sort of Vietnam era fatigues and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, that's a bit disingenuous to show this because once they hang it out in the shop, yeah. They're sort of saying it's, a, it's they're portraying it as a one-off piece almost. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is a rare Vietnam era OG one hundred and seven shirt. Yeah, and then if you've seen the Instagram, you know that. Well, I know you've got another two and a half thousand of them in the back room. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I suppose I don't know really what to say to that. Um, uh, yeah, I guess they're kind of made in such 
volume they've all got to go somewhere i suppose um once they're out of service so you know specifically with military stuff um it depends where it ends up. it's funny where it ends up actually um these things um like one of our one of our suppliers does kind of occasionally get paid in uh in bulk military items so suddenly he'll turn up with you know uh, for example we bought um about 200 m39 sort of swedish army bags off him once because he'd been owed a payment and he was paid in in these bags so yeah they they all went pretty quick um but well that's good because you could have been stuck with them (laughs) yeah 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 we were actually stuck with um (laughs) in a similar sort of deal we got a load of um swedish army boots but they they were really nice they're kind of very similar to um a boot that filson brought out a few years ago with a kind of kind of canvas sides but they had very square toes i mean they were beautiful they were they all kind of stamped you know 19 between 1940 and 1946 um really well made fantastic boots um uh but yeah this square toe kind of put people off and uh we i think we've still got a couple of pairs now this is from about five years ago yeah yeah because um i mean that's one of the things about vintage people say they love vintage and they're always looking for vintage but the vintage world isn't sort of there, there are fashion cycles there as well yeah yeah definitely yeah um well like yeah like with the french workwear for example you know it's still very hip at the moment um how long that will last don't don't really know um yeah certain things kind of do have their lifespan well is this is sort of um the hip intro and then it sort of gains um gains volume and then it sort of tapers off as that's it, sort of yeah. stragglers get into it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think once uh, once H and M start reproducing stuff, then uh, you know you kind of need to get out of there quick. <laughs> well, I think that at least uh, verifies that it is a trend because their trend spotters are very on the ball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so they might actually release their versions sort of before the real wave has hit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it takes them what three, four weeks from they've spotted something till it's in the shops producing it they're, yeah absolutely that yeah. Quick. yeah yeah um there's obviously something very enduring about the uh the french work jackets then because <laughs> it doesn't seem to have dulled their uh their popularity actually at the moment we've um um we've got these czechoslovakian army uh tank liners that that uh, kind of selling like hotcakes at the moment uh maybe just because it's the time of year they're very sort of padded warm jackets uh really simple but they're they're absolutely they're fantastic uh and we get them dyed in different colors as well so uh there's a bit of variation there but um but yeah i think uh they seem to be doing pretty well and got a pretty steady supply of them at the moment so so that's that's good um that's uh that's interesting how these uh, army things sort of travel the world because czechoslovakian liners that's pretty obscure yeah yeah i i can't find many images of, of them online actually being used as well usually you can you can sort of turn up um you know people people wearing them in the field and what have you but i've only managed to find literally a couple some guys kind of sat on on top of a tank uh with his helmet on wearing one um so yeah i don't i don't know how practical they were inside a tank because they're very warm um 
I mentioned they got sort of fairly overheated in them actually. So uh, yeah, not not sure about their actual practical use. Um, but it's like the the Swedish M nineteen oh nine extreme cold weather parkers. For yes, <laughs> unless you had been stood in the Swedish wood in minus forty degrees. You can't really sort of relate to what they were intended for. <laughs> they just, just seem horribly heavy and uh, over overmade. Aren't they amazing yeah. though? They, I, I don't know how many sheep it took to kind of line those things, but uh, they they're, they're an incredible piece of piece of kit. Um, but yeah, who would want to wear a five kilogram jacket? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. They're dead good for Instagram photos. I can tell you that they're very good. But, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think you're talking uh, almost two sheepskins to line it. Yeah, probably. Or yeah. roughly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not plenty good use of resources. Absolutely. Uh, so, what what other trends are you seeing in the vintage world these days? Um. Well, I, was, uh, I suppose it's is slightly difficult for us to say because we're we're kind of only really sell <laughs> utility kind of wear at the moment uh in its in its various forms um there is there are like i said there are certain things that we'll just sell as soon as we as we get them um but generally we kind of stick to what we appreciate and what we enjoy and kind of i suppose ignore slightly um what's going on in the, in the outside world <laughs> um so yeah basically if it's if it's something that's well made um and has enduring style uh then i'm more interested in that than than what's kind of coming and going uh i mean i suppose there's there does seem to be this kind of trend for sportswear at the moment that we just haven't got onto at all we just don't even go there uh you know, the sort of 90s, 90s sportswear is just enormous at the moment still. I was about to mention it, that that's what the shops in Oslo appear to have now, these awful synthetic 90s tracksuits. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know I don't know who wants them. I suppose they're sort of an ironic thing because they are pretty ghastly. Yeah, but then I suppose for the people that are buying them, it's they're cheap and they're colourful and... I don't know, but yeah, for I'm a middle-aged mum. <laughs> it's not really, you know, this is the sort of stuff I was wearing when I was kind of 10. So uh, it, it, for me, it's not, um, I, it just doesn't interest me at all. So um, yeah, we don't, we don't touch it at all. Um, but I know at least one of our suppliers kind of, you know, people will go in into her warehouse and, uh, it, it's kind of sought after and hunted for um but yeah no it just doesn't doesn't float my boat at all um it was probably pretty badly made in the first place uh, yeah like you said in nasty materials so um yeah no not my thing <laughs> if there's something in um in it i know when it comes to cars now oh, this is a sort of blokey thing but um uh it's often been said that you'll once you're sort of grown up and have money, you'll go looking for the cars that were cool when you were 18. Okay. I wonder if the same goes for clothes. Um, 
Just trying to think what I was wearing. So they were both thinking back to what were we wearing at 18. I know. Um, I was probably wearing some hideous bootcut jeans that kind of dragged in the uh, dragged in the puddles when I walked along and got wet, you know, kind of five inches of wet hem at the bottom. Uh, <laughs> happy memories. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I'll be uh, um, revisiting that particular trend. <laughs> No, I was probably wearing white uh, Nike basketball boots and um, jeans of some cut I can't even remember. So <laughs> the jeans have sort of lasted, I suppose. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, jeans will endure in some form or another for uh, a long time to come. So, yeah. <laughs> but then again, the fashion within vintage jeans also appears to change. Yeah, yeah. There was a big thing about kind of, what were called mom jeans weren't there for for quite a while um again i never really got in there I'm, I'm a bit dull when it comes to my jeans i do own a few pairs that um you know are pretty special but uh i'll generally be kind of found in an old just an old pair of lees really um I'm afraid I do kind of dress for comfort, not speed these days, because usually things will end up being covered in yogurt by my daughter or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or something or Play-Doh or something. So, uh, yeah, I get I, I put on. Uh, uh, I was asked by one of my neighbours, what if we dress up to go to work in the shop? And I said, oh, yes, I put on my best overalls. And, uh, and she laughed and I thought, <laughs> No, no, I actually do. I, I I do have a pair of best overalls that uh, that uh, that get worn when I go to the shop. So, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that when you do go to work in a vintage shop, you have to sort of look the part, don't you? Yeah, we try to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose because perhaps you don't really see that many people wearing this kind of stuff down here. Uh, so I suppose it's nice to kind of show a bit of variation and um, the possibilities, I suppose. You know, what we're a showcase for our shop, um, essentially. Uh, so if we're kind of walking down the street and I says someone, someone might say, oh, nice shirt or what have you, then we can say, well, yes, <laughs> this is where we got it from. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we can try to. Yeah, show be a walking advert, I suppose. Yeah, you you can justify walking around, uh, prancing around, <laughs> showcasing uh, your shop. Oh, that's good. We love a good prance. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose also it, it comes down to um, credibility. Uh, I mean, the vintage world—you have a lot of people who are concerned about originality and details and stories and all that. And yeah, I think you sort of need to establish credentials in being serious and knowledgeable about it yeah that's it yeah um i I suppose we don't do that in that you know we don't we don't dress it every single moment of our lives uh mainly for practical reasons you know if you're kind of knee deep in bales of clothes in a warehouse you don't want to be ripping your you know your 1940s jeans or what have you or you know pulling buttons off your you know 50s chain stitch shirt or what have you you do have to kind of be practical when you're actually kind of in there doing it um so 
so yeah, we don't we don't kind of dress for it the entire time, um, but we we are constantly thinking about it. We're constantly, um, you know, searching out new places to well, new sources of of stock. Um, constantly trying to research things, um, labels, and you know what have you. So we're we're kind of living it in that way rather than uh, you know taking selfies all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, do do you find that there is enough or a lot of stock to to buy in? I, I have this vision of there being this sort of secret um, vintage underground where all the shops are sort of trading all the good stuff and that there's really warehouses full of this stuff all over the place and, and it's just been sort of trickled out to customers. Uh, I expect you can confirm this suspicion. <laughs> the secret vintage underground. Oh, yes. Um, I'd, I'd kind of like to know where that is. I don't know. Um, um, I, I suppose over the years, we've we've made a lot of contacts, uh, just purely just by doing it for a long, long time. And uh, Cole, really, my husband is uh, the sort of—he's the people person. He's very good at uh, kind of wheedling his way into places and being extra special, nice and prizing the uh, prizing the goods from uh, from people's hands. Um, I think maybe the 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 real gems we mainly get are from people walking in saying, "Oh, you know, my this has been in, in the back of my cupboard for fifty years." would you like to buy it kind of thing that's that's where we get the the absolute gems and having that kind of having the bricks and mortar shop has really sort of brought those people out um whereas before where we were we had a period where we were just online uh that that just didn't really seem to happen um but i think all all the kind of warehouses will have gems tucked away somewhere you just need to you need to know what you're looking at. You know, you need to know what you're looking for, and you kind of need to um, dig a bit harder, really, um, and see see what's you know what's in the next bag, what's in the next bale, kind of thing. It's 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 purely about, um, I suppose, hard work, really. <laughs> when you're doing this, do you find that um, the, the garments that have been obviously saved yeah. for resale? Um, are of a good quality, or is it just all sorts? Uh, it really, it re- again, it really depends where you go. We do kind of have several different types of places that we that we go to. So one of our suppliers um, sort of buys directly from um, from the rag yards in the states, has it all shipped over every few months, um, and it will be a real mix of stuff she has a lot of different clients to cater for you know people that that do buy the uh the 90s sportswear in bulk and then people like us who will you know kind of agonize over a type of button for five minutes before deciding whether whether or not to buy it um so yeah i think it i think it just really depends where you're um where you're buying from uh as to what what end what ends up there 
You mentioned that uh, you go to a warehouse where they get clothes from America, yeah. and I know you get your workwear from France. Yeah. Um, are certain countries better for sourcing vintage clothes from than others? Oh, um, I expect so, mainly because maybe some countries just don't have that kind of vintage culture, I suppose, that we've had here in the UK for, you know, sort of 30, 40 years now. Uh, I know in France it's the vintage shops uh, as as we would know them as are, are still fairly recent, uh, sort of in the last sort of twenty years maybe. Um, so, in fact, maybe that's so. I'm just kind of thinking off the cuff here, but maybe that's why there is still so much left in in France. Um, they've just not had that kind of resale culture of the uh, of the clothing. Um, but I mean, my sort of preferred—I mean, my preferred go-to place, yeah, is 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 France, really. Um, but yeah, we haven't really travelled that much further afield apart from the states. Uh, uh, to buy um just i suppose mainly just because we've been doing okay sort of where we are um at the moment obviously although we'd i'd love to travel but um, it's not really possible at the moment but um but yeah it, i think sort of with with what we what we do we sort of found our niche and we found what we wanted you know, sort of fairly close to home. So um, so we have kind of yeah. with that, really. So, yeah. I'm sort of wondering if American clothes have always been sort of preferred because wandering around vintage shops here in Norway, I would sort of expect to see vintage Nor- either Norwegian clothes mm. from when Norway had a garment industry, which was yeah. until the eight, early 80s, I think. Yeah. But you see very little of that, even though it was a really good, good stuff but you will find the 90s track suits and piles yeah. and piles of american vintage jeans and, and so forth oh and all the the plaid shirts yeah i think america did you know that whoever does the marketing for america is uh, is was pretty good you know we're sort of so um used to seeing american films and american culture um you know that was always fed as as a kind of you know cool aesthetic um so yeah people people have always wanted that i suppose um i know certainly the shop that um cole used to own um it's called uncle sam's um in bristol uh and that was along with another shop called flip was one of the first um companies in the uk to import to start importing um american vintage um and they opened in 1984 um so yeah that seems that does seem kind of late actually doesn't it for uh considering how much how long the you know the decades before um this american kind of aesthetic i'm I'm trying to think when uh when they started exporting all the rare old denim to um to japan which must have been around the mid 80s yeah i guess maybe there was probably uh, a, a much smaller um, 
um, stream, I suppose, maybe just from, you know, sort of military, uh, military move- movements. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know sort of looking back through the old takings books of Uncle Sam's, there'd be kind of, you know, A4 pages just of, you know, biggie jeans, biggie jeans, you know, all day they were selling, uh, <laughs> which is sickening. <laughs> um and we certainly get customers in who used to shop there and they'd say oh yeah we used to come in and buy our pairs of biggies for you know 25 quid a pop kind of thing which i suppose we you know is not exactly cheap back then but um certainly cheaper than i don't think you could just you know, i don't think you could buy them wholesale for 25 quid anymore so well, i'm surprised these things can still be found because they must be on their second or third round um being worn these days absolutely uh, yeah yeah i do kind of have fantasies about inventing a time machine one day and going going back with a big bag of money <laughs> um but um, i was listening to a podcast with um the guy who does the monitally brand yeah and he was telling about how he uh, when he first came to california and he was working as a picker uh-huh. And, it, and it was fascinating the way he'd go to this warehouse and it, there was obviously a mountain of denim and he'd have to go through it all to find the good stuff so it could be shipped back to Japan. Yeah. That Yeah, that sounds like a that, – yeah, that sounds like a fairly standard uh, – <laughs> a fairly standard um, account. Yeah, I know – I mean, I know certainly there are warehouses that we go to who have specific pickers for the Japanese customers and there'll, there'll be a Japanese pile – um so yeah that's still that's still that still happens yeah i do wonder where everything uh, goes though um in norway we basically have one place that collects most of the garments that are donated yeah and they get uh, around 30 tons a day of of which a very small portion i think we might be talking five percent is picked and sent out to their shops yeah salvation army operation yeah and the rest is shipped off yeah to eastern europe and it sort of gets a bit vague after that yeah so it might be ending up in balest africa or it might be landfill in the ukraine yeah yeah i do notice a lot of good stuff on ebay if you search for stuff being sold from the Ukraine. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've clocked onto it. Yeah, good for them. Um, yeah, I remember when I, before I started um, doing this, that uh, going into a vintage shop in Bristol and kind of saying, oh, yeah, I've got I've got a few bits here. Do you want to buy them? And the guy sort of turning his nose up and saying, well, you know, I, I buy all this by the weight. And I sort of realised I didn't have a clue where, you know, where vintage shops got their stuff from uh and it was only kind of when i started going to um rag yards that you kind of see the scale of um i suppose the wastage really um it's quite shocking uh there was a rag, rag yard that we used to go to that you know it's at least half a football pitch sized and there were days when it would literally be full to the ceiling of uh you know unwanted garments and you just sort of think Wow, that's that's an incredible amount of waste. Um, all the stuff that wasn't picked, uh, but yeah, would get sent off to um, markets in Africa uh, and Pakistan, uh, where people would um, sort of buy them, buy the buy the clothes, and sell them 
on on the market. So I suppose it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird circle, isn't it? You know, it would, might get made in Pakistan, get sent over here, worn a few times, discarded, and sent back there and sold again. Um, so yeah. Yeah. What what I'm wondering about now is the, the warehouses you go to. Where are they getting all these? Uh, <laughs> Masses of garments from. Um, again, it's kind of they're sort of picked from. I suppose a lot of rag yards now uh, are more private operations where um, they don't really allow pickers so much. I know that's the case in the UK. I don't think it is in the states anymore. Um, I think they, you know, they still operate on a similar, um, on a similar basis where pickers can go in, uh, but you don't really have that anymore unless you, uh, unless you're going to buy, you know, a certain amount kind of thing. Um, so one of our wholesalers, for example, will just go in and buy, you know, a few containers worth in one go, um, but. Yeah, that's a that's a different business entirely. We're 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 a very very small um, cog in that wheel. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> mm. Now you mentioned customers, and that made me wonder: what, what what sort of customers do you get? Are they particular? Are they knowledgeable? Are they weird? <laughs> um, it's changed a lot, actually. Um, when we had our shops in Bristol, um, so we had two shops in Bristol, Uncle Sam's, and uh, which, like I said, has been have been going for for a long, long time. And then we opened a second one uh, in two thousand and twelve, um, and which sort of catered more towards the high end, more specialist kind of stuff. Um, and the two sets of customers were, were very different. Uncle Sam's would get. Uh, it was mainly students, uh, and uh, it, it was more the kind of stock stuff that that you, that you'd you know sort of more generally more generally see. Um, the customers that I got were yeah sort of looking looking for more specialised kind of things. Collectors, uh, we'd get a lot of the shop owners from London coming over uh you know we we we'd already done all the all the sorting sort of thing so uh and charged Bristol prices as well so um it usually made sense for them to to come over and buy buy from a, from from me um so yeah it, it it seemed more kind of uh more split back then uh now I mean, like I said, we've only been open a couple of months here, but um, we get a really broad spectrum of people from builders who, you know, need a few pairs of Carhartt trousers. Uh, There are a lot of people that work outdoors here, uh, down here in Devon as well. So people who do need the more kind of practical kind of things. Um, But also the other day there was a fabulous guy in, in a blue suit with a with a pair of high heels as well so we get we get all sorts we get we get lots of different people which is which is great my uh my hope was that um 
that we would appeal to uh, everyone, hopefully, um, which is kind of why I uh, sort of is why I kind of see it more as a, a unisex shop rather than rather than just strictly menswear. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, yeah, we're we're trying to appeal to as as many people as possible um, in the shop. Hopefully, trying to make f- people feel as welcome as possible, um, whatever they whatever they like to wear. Um, and then with the online stuff, obviously, we we do really kind of search out the uh, the um, more specialist uh, sort of items, and uh, they go on the website to, for for a broader audience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess the the vintage um, market is pretty much worldwide these days. Absolutely, yeah, yes, yeah. We've been seeing a lot of. Uh, I did. I did list here on one of your previous episodes about um, vintage shops in Taiwan. That was interesting. Uh, one of the guests was speaking about that, and uh, yeah, over the past sort of two or three years, have been. Uh, there's been about two or three specific shops in in Taiwan that have been sort of regularly buying off me, um, which is interesting. Suddenly, it seemed to sort of come from nowhere. So, I guess uh, I guess vintage is taking hold over there. Could be uh, trickling out of Japan or something like that. Yes, yeah. I very rarely sell to to people in Japan actually. Uh, to individuals, yes. Uh, sort of you know a couple every every month but um yeah the taiwanese shops are really kind of sort of buying in in bulk at the moment so yeah they probably need a lot of um, stock and it's, there's not any natural supply of stock there i'd imagine yeah i guess it's cheaper to to buy from somebody that you find online rather than buying a plane ticket to you know to europe to or america to to go and source your stuff so yeah with all the talk in recent times of sustainability and buying better buying less yeah. and that do you find that the interest has increased uh that's kind of hard or, to say or haven't people really sort of located sort of zoomed in on the vintage shops yet um i suppose yeah i i, I think it's kind of hard to say specifically about that because it's just what we've always done uh it it we've always been i guess kind of i don't know how much clothing we've we've recycled but um you know sort of tons and tons of it but um it has always been a concern of mine especially after kind of seeing uh firsthand how much wastage there is um but then i suppose there's if something is well made in the first place then it it will last and if it's if it's made with enduring style then um then yeah it it will get used and used and used and uh have a have a longer life than than a lot of things um i suppose you could say that about you know lots of things not just clothing but um but yeah it's certainly a concern of mine uh and certainly within my own wardrobe i'll um very consciously um choose things uh that i know that i'll wear 
for a long, you know, for years rather than, you know, maybe a couple of years. Um, this, this, that's, a, that's a tricky one, though, isn't it? When you're standing there with something in a shop and you think, oh, this is nice. Will I wear this in three years' time? I mean, it's, true. it's a bit of a leap of faith, really. It is, it is, yeah. Um, or maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't particularly enjoy going shopping myself. Um, maybe because, you know, I've spent a lot of time in warehouses physically going through clothes so much it's just it bores me <laughs> going shopping um no I do I do still really enjoy having a good poke in a in a good vintage shop myself um but yeah I it's very rare that I'll go and uh you know go and buy myself something new I suppose um yeah I think probably just because of of what I do um so yeah do you find yourself poking around vintage shops looking for that mispriced bargain? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, always, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you actually go about pricing obscure vintage items? Is it just a sort of gut feeling or...? Yeah. Um, if uh, a lot of the time there'll be a set price from the wholesaler and uh, or whoever would buy it from you know we've bought it for a certain amount and then that piece will owe us um a certain amount back uh with our retail it's usually uh it's usually about three times uh so the spend on it buying it back and then the profit uh there are some things that you know we'll have spent too much on so you know i don't i don't really like to pass that on so if if we've made a mistake with something, then yeah, we we, we will take the hit. Uh, I suppose it it really depends where you get it from and what it is. Um, if you end up buying uh, sort of bales of things where you don't know what's in them, uh, there can be some absolute gems, and uh, the the older or rarer pieces will will command more money. Uh, I suppose ultimately with with the internet these days it's fairly easy to check uh what other people are selling things for if you're not sure uh or yeah the yeah gut feelings i i generally kind of go with uh how how well is a piece made how old is it what's the quality um what would i pay for it um and yeah, what what does the piece ultimately? I suppose what does the, what does that particular piece owe me um, in order for my business to be sustainable? So yeah. Hmm. Do you find people appreciate the fact that something is old and used? Some yeah, some people do. <laughs> or, or some people think, oh, this isn't as nice as it could have been, or. Um. Yeah, I I think you know some people could look at something and go, oh, it's got holes and paint marks and repairs and what have you. Uh, personally, I think those things are the the, are the beauty in a piece. Um, and some people, you know, just wouldn't at all. Uh, I don't know. It 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 is all down to personal taste, really. I suppose, isn't it? And how much someone ultimately it's how much 
is somebody prepared to pay for something. Uh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> when you buy things, do you often get things that are, shall we say, a bit smelly? And do you have any really good tips for getting rid of vintage smells? Oh, yeah. We've literally pulled stuff out of barns and they absolutely honk, you know. Uh, so, yeah, everything that needs washing. Yeah, the, the, I, yeah I'm constantly doing laundry. <laughs> um white vinegar is uh i don't know how much white vinegar we get through but that's uh that's a good that's a good is that a, a, as an additive to the wash or is yeah. it soaking yeah. in it yeah either kind of spray it straight on and i was going to say sort of leave it out in the sun but as i look out the window the devon weather has definitely kind of come in it's the last of the sun for us but um usually a good dose of sunshine and some white vinegar would would kind of basically do it but now the majority of our stuff will need uh will need going through the wash um so yeah we we're constantly (laughs) we're constantly either at the laundrette or the washing machines going so between that and school uniforms yeah it's uh that's quite a big part of my (laughs) job right White vinegar. Okay. Yeah, must, yeah. must buy some gallons of that then. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see the word vintage used, well, rather misused a lot now. Yeah. Uh, there, must, there must be a sort of definition of when is something actually vintage and as, as opposed to last year's H&M collection or last month's in many cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think... You know, if you sort of peruse eBay, then uh, yeah, anything secondhand people <laughs> might kind of stick vintage on there, even if it's if it's kind of you know sort of vintage style kind of thing. Uh, I suppose we try not to stock anything that's uh, later than I don't know, sort of early mid eighties, really, uh, which shockingly is you know sort of 35 years ago really um so yeah we don't we don't really deal with anything um less than 35 years old right but you were mentioning your neighboring shop which has stuff from the 1920s yeah uh, when, I, when i'm out looking for vintage i'd love to find more of the really old stuff mm. but it's very rare to find yeah absolutely yeah yeah um yeah, I know she kind of gets a lot of uh I mean, she's been in the area for a long, long time and uh will sort of travel around the auction houses as well. That's um you know, a good a good source of uh for the older stuff. Um for me, like I said, the the twenties women's wear it is just too it's it's very beautiful and I, you know, I, I appreciate all the workmanship that goes into it and the aesthetic. I think it's, it's stunning, but for me, I kind of like things that people could wear, you know, every, every day. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of more into the u- utility kind of side of things, but um, yeah, certainly older, the better. I'm always interested in uh in the in the uh in the older older items certainly uh yeah it's just a case of finding it you've got to i mean yeah when you sort of start talking about 20s these things are 100 years old and you know uh cloth doesn't last forever really does it so 
definitely. No, that is a, that is a problem. Now, I have to say that looking through your website, I do notice that you have a shockingly poor selection of tweed. Now, why oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, why not? Um, I don't know, really. It's just not really something that I personally have ever really got into. Maybe that's something I should uh, I should address. Um I don't know why, really. I can't really explain that. It's not really, it's just not really, um, not really my thing at the moment. We did used to sell kind of, you know, beautiful Harris tweed jackets um, in a, in our old shops, but it's just not something that we've, uh, that we've continued really. I suppose because uh, you can find really great bargains in, in charity shops. Um, and this, but, especially down here we've we've got an abundance of of beautiful tweeds in uh, in charity shops that are a few steps from our shop so i suppose i don't really want to tread on their toes and take away from them yeah i'm, I'm just planning my route as we speak now i'll, I'll be around this afternoon i, I can recommend yeah <laughs> many of the charity shops around here yeah yeah it's strange because harris tweed is such uh i mean you you're hard pressed to to kill a Harris tweed jacket, really. I've had ones that have been, they've clearly had such a hard life, but a wash and they're sort of back back again. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you you, you can't uh, you can't do away with them. They're, uh, they're, they're built to last, certainly. But I can uh, I can see how they might have a bit of a fusty image uh, and so forth. But, uh, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, it depends who's wearing them, though, doesn't it, you know? Uh, I guess maybe around here, there's 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 still a lot of wild-haired old uh, farmers that kind of <laughs> jump down from their tractors <laughs> in their Harris tweeds. Um, so, or their smelly old barbers. Oh yes, indeed, yes. There's a fair few of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I sort of notice you don't sell either. <laughs> oh, we do in the shop. We we do in the shop again. It's kind of uh, online. Uh, the online stock is is completely different to the shop stock, um, mainly for uh, convenience. Um, otherwise, I'd, yeah, it, it, it would just be become far too complicated to uh, right. to kind of Syn- synchronize it. But, but yeah, we do we do actually sell a lot of barbers in the shop. So um, yeah, they are a very underrated, um, reasonable buy. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. People get rid of them while there's still lots and lots of life left in them. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And especially with the weather down here, the Devon's a bit notorious for um, awful weather. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they're very well well used down here. Sort of in closing, do you have any um, amusing anecdotes from the vintage trade you'd like to share? Amusing. Um, I probably do, but I don't want to um, uh, embarrass myself with with any names. But I'll I will tell you about a jacket that I found once in a, in a rag yard in Bristol. Um, it was purely by chance. There was uh, so so in the in the rag yards, each um, type of clothing is. Um, sectioned into various bins uh 
and I was digging through a bin full of um, suit jackets one day and I found a it was a black velvet um, sort of tuxedo style jacket and uh, it's not wasn't really the sort of thing that I'd go for generally um, not much of a, a velvet kind of person but um, just something about the quality of it sort of said you know oh you need to pick this up kind of thing um, and I looked in the pocket and there was a, a Savile Row tailor's tag in there um, with the with the handwritten name um, WF uh, Major WF Berman and it was dated 1921 so I thought that that sounds interesting kind of you know on the kickoff uh, so I got it home and uh, put his name into the internet and uh, this guy was uh, a Victoria Cross recipient from the First World War. Um, God knows how his tuxedo jacket had ended up in uh, in a clothing bin in Bristol, but but there you go. But this this guy had had a, an incredible life story, um, and you know he he joined the army when he was fifteen. He was kind of five foot nothing. Um, He'd single-handedly uh, saved his um, entire um, sort of infantry from uh, from certain death, really. Um, while kind of dug into a trench, it was you know his his medals were in the Imperial War Museum, and here I was kind of holding his jacket, and I thought, wow, this is this is incredible. Um, so I, I kind of wrote about it on the website and, you know, took pictures of it and the jacket sold fairly quickly. It was a beautiful piece in itself, but, you know, it had this, had this guy's name attached to it. Um, and then shortly after his, um, one of his family members got in touch and sort of said, oh, this was my, this was my great uncle. Uh, and yes, indeed he was, uh, uh, he was, a, he was an incredible man. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is brilliant. This is uh, this is why I love what I do. Um, when you when you can find stories about in, the individuals that that wore things, um, and especially somebody who, you know, who did something like that, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty humbling. Yeah, it sort of makes it bigger than it really is, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. At the end of the day, it's just a it was just a jacket uh albeit a very well-made jacket but um but yeah when 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 they come attached with stories like that it's uh yeah it's something special my uh, grail find i think would be finding a savile row tweed suit <laughs> which would be, that would be good because i'm never going to be able to afford to have one made there. <laughs> keep searching they're out there <laughs> I uh, know they are. A friend of mine keeps finding them uh, in charity shops um, south of London. Ah, uh, yes, there you go. Maybe it's the area that you need to, uh, yeah, focus uh, on. I think that is uh, there is something there because travelling around the UK, you notice the charity shops have different stock depending on where you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, here in Norway, everything's sort of collated into one pile and then sent back out to shops. Yeah. So you miss out on the the intelligent hunting by going to the sort of good areas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you really you really do notice it. Um we've certainly found a few kind of uh, uh certainly good halls of kind of fishing and maritime kind of style 
things down here. So, uh, yeah, it, it certainly relates to what area you're in. Yeah. Okay, Holly, I think we've uh, just about reached our time today. Okay. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. And you've answered a lot of my um, niggling questions about the vintage trade. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you again. Thank you, Bye. Nick. Bye. Bye. And that was all for this week's episode, a new episode next week. If you'd uh, like to investigate further, uh, my blog is at welldresseddad.com, Instagram at welldresseddad. Um, you've been listening to Gomology. Please uh, leave a rating and a review if you like. I'd really appreciate it. And if you'd like to get in touch, the email address is welldresseddad at gmail.com. Thanks a lot and catch you next week.